and welcome. Thank you all for joining us this week. It's September the 23rd as we are recording this. Brent, we've been thinking about inflation a lot. I want to kick this off by taking a look at the most recent data. You know, here's the inflation chart going back to the 60s. This is the Fed preferred PCE index. The CPI typically shows a little bit more inflation than the PCE, but the PCE is what the Fed is using. We've wrote a a long discussion about the differences between those. If you're curious, you can find that on the AEI premium site. But, you know, the point we really want to look at is there's a spike in the data. Inflation has raised its head, so to speak. And so most currently, the data through July are monthly data coming at 4% annualized. And so every month we get an estimate of what the annualized rate of change would be. But if we step back and we say, okay, what's it done for the first seven months of 2021? It comes in at about 3% so far. But if you compare 2020, it's at 1.2%. The decade of 2010 to 2019 was 1.6%. So there's this kind of, yes, inflation's up a lot. It's really just been the last few months. It's really starting since March or April, inflation started a little bit higher. But arguably, the 1.6% of the last decade and the 1.2% for last year was well below the Fed's goal. And the Fed was actually trying to get inflation higher, closer to that 2% mark. I want to start just by reiterating something you said. We've written quite a bit about inflation in the premium side here. And there's several good resources, I think, in there talking about it. And I think that, you know, if you haven't read them, take a look at them, search it and find them. I think there's some some really good stuff. But you're right. You know, we've had roughly, I would say, 1990. We have not seen inflation much above two and a half percent for that whole time period. So we've been in that kind of really low bound, and you know, everybody talking about how we get in more inflation. And before the pandemic, that was still the case. Uh, we we're starting to see it maybe pick up. The economy is really gaining steam. We had the pandemic, and then things got weird. You know, the, the real question then is, you know, are we going to be in this, go back into that kind of under two and a half or under 2%, under two and a half percent bound, or are we going to shake out a little bit higher? That's the rub. The data just don't support. We just haven't seen anything much higher than that over, you know, the last 50 years. We did hit double digits, but not really for very long in the grand scheme of things. I want to transition this a little bit. And so there is inflation higher than anything we've, you know, the headline would be inflation at its highest level and, you know, probably since 2009. So, you know, in more than a decade, that's a very eye-catching headline, but we only have a few months of that data. So there's sort of this question of transitory or not transitory. There's probably some Shakespearean reference on to be or not to be there. We could could create a creative headline for our own. But Brent, I want you to talk a little bit about the two arguments on both sides of, is this a sustained period of inflation or is this more of a short-term transitory situation? David and I again leaned on a, a memo Howard Marks wrote on this topic, and I thought he laid it out really well called thinking about macro is kind of laid out both sides of, of the argument. The people that say we're headed for a sustained period of inflation, look at all the stimulus that we've done since the pandemic, but not, you know, even after the pandemic, a trillion dollars became, you know, a common word in terms of government bills in the pandemic. And we've done several of them and are working on another one. You know, you've got 
economists out there saying, even you know, liberal economists saying, enough with the fiscal stimulus. So you've got huge amounts of fiscal stimulus, and potentially even more. Uh, you've got tremendous amounts of monetary stimulus. And people look around and say, well, consumers are in great shape. They've saved up money. They've got money to spend. Watch out. Uh, we got a major wealth effect going. Stock markets at all-time highs. Housing prices are really high. So consumers have got money and they're wealthy. We've got lots of visible evidence. Used car prices, lumber, et cetera, et cetera. Going down the list, I think all of us can come up with several prices that we can see that are way higher. In agriculture, equipment prices, used equipment prices up tremendously. We're starting to see fertilizer prices up tremendously. Kind of across the board, a lot of visible evidence. We've got labor problems. People continue to complain about. I had two conversations yesterday where people were saying, oh, I just can't find labor, to, you know, workers to do what we need to have done. Cost push and demand pull inflation both working. And we continue to think about stimulus. So that's kind of the sustained inflation side of things. People saying, hey, it's not going away anytime soon. If you think about the people who are arguing for transitory inflation, the Federal Reserve being the, I guess, the chief backer of this idea, or the, the ones that at least put the term in the common vernacular, right? So the, when the Fed used it, then all of a sudden it became a common term. I mean, you know, this is not going to last. And why do they think that? Well, supply shock happened and we knew from the pandemic that was from an economic standpoint, I think a lot of people didn't appreciate that the pandemic was a supply shock and it took a while for that to show up, but eventually did. And supply shocks lead to higher prices. But eventually you say, well, that supply is eventually going to come back. It's not like we went out and destroyed those factories. They're there. They're, they just shut down for a while and eventually get coming back and get restarted. And so that's kind of a temporary thing. The Fed talks a lot about inflation expectations, and they often say they're anchored. And I think Jay Powell, in his last statement just yesterday, said the Fed views those inflation expectations as continuing to be anchored, meaning people aren't expecting huge price increases coming forward, but they're watching it. And he did he did say that they're watching it this time. So I think it gives you a little bit of pause there. Stimulus ever should be short term. At least the 2020 ones were definitely that way. The PPP loans are done now and it's over with. The labor supply eventually should come back. I think most importantly, those big secular trends that are very deflationary continue to be in place. And it's caused by technology, putting pressure on prices, lots of automation, and lots of globalization. And those tended, you know, those have been the causes that people point to that put us in that low inflationary environment for the last 30 years. And I think there's a lot of those people say, well, look, those trends are still in place. So as you can see, pretty good arguments on either, of either side of the page. If we find ourselves on one side of the page, just sure that that's what's going to happen, we have to look at the other side a little bit and say, challenge our own thinking occasionally on this. Well, I think a lot of times of the example in my mind of transitory inflation is I was traveling in May, had to do some flying, and there just weren't very many flight options, and they were expensive. And then when I got to the airport, the restaurants were busy. Only half the restaurants were open, but the ones that were open had huge lines. 
and I get to where I'm going. And I had to stay in line for three hours to get a rental car because they didn't have enough labor to clean them. And they had just enough rental cars for the number of reservations they had. They were turning away people who were walking up to the counter. Uh, they didn't have the fleets were pretty reduced. Uber didn't have anybody that could drive to take you to the hotel if you want to cancel your, your rental cars. Those are all, I guess, in my mind, supply chain restarts. And so, you know, it takes time for the airlines to bring those airplanes out of the desert. So a lot of them in Kansas City as well. So they park them. It takes time to get them back into service. It takes time for these rental cars to get their fleets rebuilt. It takes time to decide, yeah, we're going to reopen this particular restaurant in the airport. So all these things can sometimes take time. So we got to keep our eye on this. And, you know, I think this is also be a roadmap for those of you who are thinking about this, you know, keep an, we'll share this, this table in an article here. You can, you know, print this off and you can say, okay, what's happening a month from now or three months from now or six months from now, what are the, what's sort of the evidence being laid out here? So you can use this as a bit of a roadmap to see how things are unfolding. Another idea that we've came across, and it came from Howard Marks, he talked about it early in the pandemic, and he borrowed it from somebody else. Uh, but he talked about it again here for inflation is it's kind of a, a good mental model to think about is when we go in to make a decision, there's sort of three types of information that we rely on. There are data, there are informed extrapolations, and then there are opinions. If we think about us individually versus us collectively as a society, all of our individual decisions have some sort of weighting on those and probably our better decisions, or we'd prefer to have decisions that are weighted more on data and informed extrapolations than just my opinion, right? My opinion can be very swayed. It can be easily impacted. It's sort of, uh, I should be working to make sure my opinion doesn't get the best of me. But let's think about this sort of as a collective society now. There are a little bit, of, a few data points about inflation turning a little bit higher here. There aren't a lot of informed extrapolations that we can rely on from history. There's the one period of inflation in the 1970s and very early part of the 1980s that we have in, in, in our good rich data set about. There've been inflation in other parts of ancient history, right? Or in other parts of the history, but this is sort of the only corollary that we have in, in modern history. We also don't have a lot of experience with restarting the economy after a pandemic. But finally, I think when we think about how all the information that we're being shared in society is, it's heavily being driven by opinions. And so if we were going to weight this, uh, the collective amount of, of all the things you hear out there, they're being heavily influenced by opinions that have a little bit of data and not much history to, to weight them on. David, this is a, it's such a powerful framework. I wish I would use it more often because I think you think about the decisions you make and just individually first, most of the decisions we make based on our opinion, you know, we just, oh, I think we should do this or that or whatever. And 90% of the time, those work really well for most decisions. But for those big decisions, I think it's important to kind of step yourself out of that opinion thing and get back to, hey, okay, let's look at the data first, then move into those other two categories, especially for those important ones. I, and I, I really need to make a concerted effort to apply that more myself on the more important decisions, particularly. The other thing I think is interesting about this stepping into the bigger picture of society is the informed extrapolations. And those are the ones we're in search of all the time, right? And so you see it in the pandemic. People say, wow, here's a story of how the pandemic impacted people in France in the bubonic plague. And here's what happened and, and what lessons can we learn from today? And I, you know, I saw some from the Spanish flu and all these other, 
Now you think about that and you go, well, the world is a lot different today and I'm not sure how valid those extrapolations are, but they are fun to do. But <laughs> we, we search out for those things all the time. My father, uh, who may or may not be listening to this, he spent his first few weeks in quarantine going through the History Channel about the 1918. Apparently it started in Haskell County, Kansas, apparently in, in his History Channel watching experience. And apparently uh, got to what is now known as Fort Riley near Manhattan, Kansas. And that's sort of where it got, as we're training soldiers for World War One. that was really the, the super spreader event in today's vernacular. But he keeps reminding me of all the things that have correlated exactly exactly right um which is kind of a you know his opinion after watching that was this is going to be years it's going to take years for this to play out and i guess that's sort of been more right but then there's arguments about how people sometimes have misinterpreted history and no no you got to go look at this evidence versus that evidence that's just a really powerful uh, informed extrapolations can be very powerful but we also have to know the limits of them and that's very careful as well yeah, it is interesting. We sometimes we get a little selective about what part we remember of the history, but yeah, I just I find that it's really interesting. I just thought about that as you're talking about it. I also think it's important to step back and realize sometimes we are forced as decision makers to make decisions that have very little data, very little informed extrapolations, and you just have to go with your gut. And those are the really hard decisions to make. Sometimes it's easier just to go with the opinions, like I'm going to go eat lunch here. What am I going to eat? But sometimes we have to make really big decisions. Like the early months of the pandemic, there just weren't data. There just weren't a lot of good informed extrapolations. And so sometimes as decision makers, we still have to make decisions in light of light. And that's usually what we, you know, Brent and I use that oftentimes as sort of chaos or turmoil or uh, is when there isn't a lot of data to, and you have to make decisions. Think about the 1980s foreign financial crisis or you know the, the recession in 2008 and 2009. There's always a lack of data when there's sort of these crises that we're having to, to navigate. I'll give you the big you know thing today right now. I think in my mind in agriculture is the fertilizer deal. I mean, fertilizer prices exploding. Retailers putting lots of pressure on people to buy, trying to think through and walk through that rather than just make a a decision just solely based on my opinion, but actually look at all of these things I think is, is useful. And informed extrapolations, right? We'll hear stories about, oh, this is just like such and such year whenever this right. and this and this happened. And but yeah, one of the last things we want to talk about with you all today is the Ag Forecast Network question. We have had open since July that goes and asks, you know, what's the probability of inflation across the U.S. economy averaging 3.5% for 2021? And, you know, we showed that data earlier so far for seven months, it's been 3%. That has caused me to change my expectations a lot. I had a forecast of about 45% to start with. I was well below the consensus. I moved it up at the end of August, about 65%. Now I'm sitting at 90%. As Brent would say, when you get a long ways away from the consensus, sometimes you've walked a long way out on that plank and and you might be missing something, but I'm keeping to watch this data and I can change my opinion based on the new data. And I'm going to have to change my opinion based on new data as it comes out. But the next few months, I think are going to be really important to watch that those inflation estimates as they come out of the Fed and really seeing what, what plays out here for the rest of 2021. My forecast is 8%, and usually I, I'm more extreme than David, so I'm a little nervous that he's that much different than I am, more extreme than I am, and I was a little concerned that I was way above the consensus. So 
just something to think about. But uh, it's it to me, it's looking. I mean, I'm at eighty percent. It looks like we're going to be above that, but uh, long ways to go. Consensus is at sixty percent. Of course, you know I was thinking, oh, three percent, three point five is a target. And we've been hanging out at four percent. It's if we come in November and December at one percent, that's still going to go into the average, right? And that's going to pull it down as well. So even if we were at three point five percent through this part of the year, we'd have to maintain that to keep that average there. So a lot can still change and happen. We we had a, an event earlier today and one of the speakers said, we're one black swan away from talking about deflationary concerns and prices falling and demand evaporating. And so it's kind of an interesting time to think about that. One last thought for you all. Um, I think Brent and I both I know I will say Brent agrees with me, but I think collectively we all can agree 10% inflation is bad. And I think the Fed would step in a long ways before that to get it under control. But I think the hard part for the policymakers, the decision makers at the Fed is, is 3.5% too much or is it okay? Is it a good number? You know, 1.6 is probably, you know, a little too light on the inflation where we were the last decade. 10% is obviously too high, but what is the appropriate level to be, you know, maintaining here in the economy? I think that's a big question that uh, we haven't talked enough about. People are arguing about, are we going to get to 10% or not? That's a good argument. But the next argument is, is 3%, is 3.5%, is 4% too much or too little? I think that's going to be important to keep your eye on going into 2022. That's the big question. And my personal feeling is that you won't get a lot of complaining if it's running around three and a half percent. You get up to 10. Yeah. I don't well, they'll try and stop it before it gets there. Something to think about. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us this week. We'll catch you in the future. In the meantime, send us any questions or ideas you have, but most importantly, stay curious. Thanks. Thanks.